everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 132 of the podcast that is taking you through all of the Marvel superhero adventures. Uh, from the beginning, we started way back with the Fantastic Four number one in 1961, and we have made it all the way to August of 1966, August 2nd to be exact. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the X-Men 25, Daredevil 21, Sergeant Fury 35, and Tales of Suspense 83. Yay. Yeah. Um, you say yay. However, well, I beg to differ. Uh-huh. Because we're starting with the X-Men 25. And you were very diplomatic about this last time. You said, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be liking the X-Men right now. Uh-huh. But I'm really not. And yes. El Tigre. And then I believe I even tried to be positive and tell myself that El Tigre could be cool. So we'll see. Mm, mm, but I've mm-hmm. since read it. I said that before I read it. So. You said that before you read it. Yes, you did. Yeah. All right. But so X-Men 25, that's a cool number. We have read 25 of these things. Yeah. It's a quarter so century A quarter mark. of the way done. We are one fourth of the way to Jean Grey turning into Phoenix. Can you imagine if like, Titles just stopped at 100. Okay, that's enough. Let's do something that's else. enough. Let's instead wrap of, them up. Instead of clocking over to 100, they like just stop. <laughs> yeah, let's just stop. Never do another X-Men again. Collect them all in the trade paperbacks. The end. That would be kind of cool. Except X-Men as, probably didn't get good until after 100, so that would have sucked maybe. I, I mean, 94 and 95 are a little pedestrian. 96 is where Claremont really starts writing and – it's pretty immediately <laughs> enjoyable. And then they stop. <laughs> and then the, no, they, that's when the comic stops running at 100. Uh-huh. Sorry, Claremont. Thanks for playing. Cha-ching, deleted, please drive through. The way, as much as they defenders. restart counts right now, I think it's a pretty rare for a comic to get to 100 anymore. Oh, it's really sad. But, you know, I just recently discovered, and I'm way behind because these are old now, but there's like these trade paperback epic collections that are actually mm. collecting – like these kind of early volume ones, but complete. So, and it's That's crazy because so cool. like they release them and you'll, the, okay. So the very first one that was put out was Iron Man volume 10. Hmm. And volume 10 of Iron Man starts around 160 ish. Wow. And it has the first big Obadiah Stane story. So they're trying to cater to like getting people to buy exciting stories and then go backwards right so but also that what that means is that they have sat down and figured out what the mm-hmm. volumes one through nine would be sure and they're just going with volume 10 because it ties into that first movie well i mean if you're only collecting volume one then you can figure that out right mm-hmm. in theory in theory i guess in theory i don't know i just think that's pretty cool that you can get the entire all these classic volume ones in trade format complete yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. There is actually also a podcast out there that I guessed it on once called the, funnily enough, Epic Marvel Podcast. And they go oh. through those epic collections oh, and they interview cool. creators. And Oh, wow. I've been working my way through that first Iron Man collection so I can listen to their first episode. It's, it's big, though. You know, it's next one to get through it. You know what I'm sick of? And it's not like I've ever actually bought these, so I don't even know why I'm sick of it. But as a Superman fan, you're probably sick of it too. Like how many times they reprint Golden Age and start over? Mm. Like why like Chronicles or whatever was going strong for a little while and then they changed it to Golden Age and then Golden Age Omnibus. And it's like, dude, you've printed these already. Keep going. Go until you have all the Superman stories printed. Because do you know that there are Superman and Batman stories that aren't in trades? 
to this, yes. at this point. That's ridiculous. It's like there's so many stories out there that have never been reprinted yeah. once. It's craziness. So it's like, dude, stop stopping and starting over. We all have freaking Action Comics number one reprinted. Let's keep going. You know? Well, I think the omnibus line, at least for Batman and Superman, the omnibus line has made it quite a dent. I want to say that Batman Omnibus has reprinted everything from the 40s. Wow, that's cool at least. So at least it completes something. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're going forward. And the thing is, here we are in 2020, and, and digital is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even you, that, like you notice if you shop, because I've done that, I've toyed with the idea, I'll just buy all Batman like digitally, but then you go in order and it's like it stops when the trades stop. Right. So you can't get all of Batman volume one in digital even because they've not bothered with it until there's a trade that collects it. At least not legitimately. Right. Well, at least not. In, right. Exactly. The power and the pendant. X-Men. Welcome to the Make Ours Marvel Trade Paperback Podcast. <laughs> well, every, when, when I'm reading, when I heard about the Epic Marvel Collections uh-huh. and Epic Marvel Podcast, was actually something I thought about, like you know, for five seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and either I just wasn't going with it, or the other, I saw the other ones already out there. But um, but that the idea behind that is that you are focusing on like treasured runs of comics. Mm-hmm before you get to less treasured runs of comics. And sure, historically, it's all over the place, but that kind of adds to the fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, those I, original volume ones, those are so cool. I love index shows. Mm-hmm. I, but the drawback of an index show is that we may or may not ever even get out of Roy Thomas's Avengers. We may never get to Steve Englehart's Celestial Madonna saga. We may never get to the Kree Scroll War, which is Roy Thomas, but still. <laughs> and we give El Tigre a good 20 minutes that he doesn't deserve. Well, we haven't even given him a minute yet, so let's see. But we will. <laughs> X-Men, the most unusual fighting team of all time. That used to be the most unusual teenagers of all time, so they've ah, changed that. Well, they graduated. The power and the pendant. In this corner, four of the mutant X-Men, who, bereft of the telekinetic abilities of Marvel Girl, must combat a mind-staggering menace. And in this corner, three of the most treacherous terrors ever to troop from Marvel's Titanic imagination, featuring the mildly incomparable. <laughs> well, at least Menace they agreed. El Tigre, who says this isn't the Marvel age of concise credits. Edited by Stan Lee, scripted by Roy Thomas, illustrated by Werner Roth, inked by Dick Ayers, lettered by Sam Rosen, imitated by Brand Eck, which is the first time they have mentioned Brand Eck in the credits. Did you double take and wonder why Professor X's neck is so crazy long on that first page? <laughs> no. <laughs> I did. That's an unfortunate tangent. That is, now I can't unsee it. <laughs> right? Now I'm like, where is this, what, what is he Who doing? Who is plastic bald guy? This is weird. Special academic aside to artwork aficionados, we have the blush and bullpen refer to the above type of illo as a symbolic splash, intended to underscore the deep socio-psychological significance of the suspenseful saga you're about to devour. Translation after you read this incredible-ish, please explain the page to us. So enjoy, Marvelite. The action starts on page two. All right. Okay, yeah. So they're driving to take... Marvel Girl back to Metro College. They see a fire in an orphanage, and Scott Summers is like, oh no, an orphanage. And uh, <laughs> they um, they save all of the children from the fire, 
they put out the fire with a with a tree and um, they go off and change back into their regular clothes behind a bush, which isn't immodest at all, while the firemen put out the fire. They continue driving once again in their regular clothing. They drop off Jean Grant College. She's like, hey, Ted Roberts. He's like, hey, pretty lady. And Walter, I'm sorry, Warren Worthington III and Scott Summers are both like, oh, I must love her, but I can't because she's at school. Um, meanwhile, three Mexican stereotypes. <laughs> um, Ramon, El Tigre, and Toloc, who's an indigenous Mexican, so a descendant of, um, you know, one of the indigenous peoples. Maybe they're in Mayan territory, but, you know, they don't identify what Toloc's background is. Anyways, um, they have found the hidden temple of Kukulkan who is the, uh, the sun god of the Mayans, I believe, if I remember correctly. And they found in the temple the hidden treasure of Kukulkan. El Tigre opens up the hidden treasure vault, and there's gold, and there's jewels. And Tolok says, but the legend says there's a curse on this lost treasure. He says, curse? I don't believe in curses. <gasps> but this cup has a glowing stone in it. I think I'll take it. I have searched two continents for hidden treasures by ancient tribes, and I have never seen anything like this roughly teardrop-shaped lump of metal. Um, so anyways, they go have their uh, camp that night. Uh, Tolok and Ramon decide they're going to assault El Tigre and take the treasure for themselves. He stops them with the power of his mind because he has this stone. And he realizes that he now has power. And inside the temple, he finds there's uh, paintings telling a story. The sacred pendant of Kukulkan, which has another half. And if he can find both halves, he shall enjoy power without limit if he can survive the dread curse. Okay, so um, that's all happening. Meanwhile, back at Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters... Uh, there is an alarm, and um, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's an alarm. And Xavier's like, sure, I'm glad I turned on the uh, the alarm's high, high volume, because I was in my lab, and that's all soundproofed. Anyways, I think I put on my leg braces and walked down these stairs. Oh no, my leg braces gave out. But these tentacles shoot out of the wall and catch Xavier, and he's like, don't worry, everyone. I installed these tentacles in the wall to lash out and catch me if I were to fall down the stairs because my leg braces stopped working. They're like, wow, that's pretty great. So they uh, roll him in his wheelchair into the projection room and Cerebro is projecting on the wall a picture of the mutant that is detected, except that it's not a mutant. It's just kind of mutant-ish. And they can't even show a picture because it's not even a mutant. It's just like something mutant-ish. And so it's just like this glowy white thing. So really, Cerebro is just not helping at all right now meanwhile angel decides or therefore afterwards angel decides to go fly around and try to find where this non-mutant uh um, menace is 
El Tigre, Ramon, and Tolok all land in New York City. They start walking around. El Tigre uses his power of his mind to make somebody get out of the taxi cab so they can use the taxi cab. Scott Summers is looking for the mutant-ish, and he sees the three Hispanic gentlemen, or two Hispanics and the one native Mexican uh, gentleman get out of... I guess they're all Hispanics if they're all Spanish-speaking peoples. Anyways, technicalities aside, he sees them go into a hotel. He's like, huh, that's interesting. They're dressed rather unusually since they're all pretty much Latin stereotypes. And um, while he's walking around, his glasses get knocked. And his, his eye beams start going everywhere. And they're like, look at that crummy mutant trying to attack us. Get out of here, you crummy mutant. And so Scott grabs his glasses, puts them back on, runs back to the school. Whew. How y'all doing, folks? And they're like, well, you see, somebody um, started a fight in a uh, um, a, a bar. Is it a f- bar? No, it's a bank. Someplace. Anyways, the uh, three people that Scott just saw from Mexico were in the camera footage. He's like, maybe they are the ones who started the fight. <gasps> maybe they're the not-quite-mutants that we're supposed to be looking for. And Xavier beeps in with his mind. Yes. They are the not-quite-mutants that you're supposed to be looking for. So, go look for them. And so the X-Men go off into the city. Um, They get to a place where Xavier thinks the not-quite-mutants might be. There's this museum with all of this Central American um, uh, stuff. And uh, it starts attacking them because El Tigre has uh, mental powers. There are some mammoths and some other things that you find in museums. Um, Tolok shoots darts at them. The guard from the museum finds Cyclops and says, Hey, what are you doing? And Cyclops says, I'm trying to stop El Tigre. He says, What's an El Tigre? Oh, wait, I'm under the control of El Tigre. You better stand there or I'll fire at you. And El Tigre sees the other half of his amulet in the glass case of the um, museum. He breaks the glass. He pulls out the amulet. He puts it with the other amulet. And there's a bright, shining light. And El Tigre transforms into the god Kukulkan. So he's basically like Thor. That is the best way of looking at this story. Yep, he is basically like Thor. You know my favorite thing about this issue is? What's that? There's this awesome ad that you can get the complete Tarzan series for $11 or the complete Mars series for $5. And I really want both of those for $11 and $5. My dad had that entire series of Tarzan books. Dang, that would be so cool. Yeah, I used to have 24 books for $11. Mm-hmm. I had this black trade dress for a series of paperbacks. They were really mm-hmm. sharp looking. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh, wow. Crazy. Okay. A lot of those All were right, published so, serially. Oh. Um, you know how like you tell me something that's going to happen and like I brace for impact and then it turns out it ain't so bad or I think it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Like like last week I said, you know, maybe in hope of optimism, maybe El Tigre would be cool. And you said, no, he's so bad Mexico banned him or something. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, is he going to be like powered by tacos? Is he going to be like, is there Mexican face, like blackface? Is this going to be Mexican face? How, how bad is this going to be that he got banned? And he didn't seem that bad. So I'm kind of disappointed in a way because I thought it was going to be like super over-the-top horrible. Um, I'm not saying he's not a stereotype, but we've had right. stereotypes like him before, maybe worse ones. 
like Asia usually gets the worst of it in yeah. 60s Marvel. And I definitely can't speak to why exactly the people who, you know, wanted to ban it did. Uh, and by ban, we mean that whenever the X-Men was doing it, its own Spanish version mm-hmm. edition being printed in Mexico, they skipped this two-parter. So that was just an editorial decision. They did, they, for a story that focuses on people attached to Mexican culture, the people in Mexico are like, um, no. Do you think it's because he turned into one of their gods or do they not? Buy yeah, it into could that? be that. It could be more of a, um, more of a sensitivity issue with the actual worship. I mean, figure, what if he turned into Jesus? Right. If he just like turned into Jesus, I am Jesus. But I also don't know how much weight Kukul Khan carries with anybody. Totally but true. I don't. I don't know. know. I don't know. So because um, we here we here in America don't care that Thor turns to Thor. We yeah we don't. I don't think anybody's offended by that. But um, I've actually heard people say that they are upset about certain choices that get made in the Thor movies. I don't know about the Thor comics. Hmm. So. Last time we talked about the X-Men, I was like, you know, it's kind of cool that they've given Jean Grey a story. We get to follow her off to college. Mm -hmm. But I flip-flopped on that with this issue Mm because it feels like they have written the only woman right out of the book. There's that. And I also feel like we're going to have so many of these freaking issues begin and end with like them taking her and picking her up. And it's just going to drive me bonkers. Just not to keep her in the story? Like why? I want to actually see her just live at college for a little while. Maybe actually miss them for a little while and then show up like six issues down the road to save the day or something like that. Realize that she's really an X-Men and damn her parents or something. But it's like we haven't missed her because they just she just comes back and then we right. drop her off again. And then she's probably going to come back, although she wasn't in this issue anymore. So maybe uh, she won't come back. I don't know. She'll probably come back and fight Kuku Khan because he's a mental power guy and so is she. So. But yeah, like all this very beginning with the orphanage and stuff. By the way, when you said Scott freaks out, were you just joking? Because I don't yeah. remember that part. Okay, because he completely, completely doesn't. Because that's later continuity. Yeah. yeah, we don't know that he's from an orphanage yet, right? No. Okay, okay. But this Which means he doesn't know that he's from an orphanage yet. Business like nothing happens from it. Just, no, I I feel like it was only hey. there to reestablish that the X Men are actually heroes. Mm-hmm. We've had so much stuff with mutants being feared and doing secret stuff that they get blamed for that like showing the X-Men actually being superheroes maybe was just something you know, they wanted to show. Which I noticed because there were people that were like, oh, yay, we're being saved by the X-Men. This is so awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, we still get that a little bit. But then in this very same issue, we also get, oh, God, that kid's a stinking mutiny. Kill him. Right. Yeah. So we'll kind of get both, I guess. You know, whenever they take Jean to the school, mm-hmm. you know, she, she arrives and Ted Roberts is there and he makes a comment about her being late, just like a woman. Uh-huh. And I know that if I were a woman mm-hmm. and I heard a guy make a crack about women being chronically late, my response would definitely be, oh, he's such a dear. <laughs> be like, yeah, these ovaries really slow me down. <laughs> it's the extra <laughs> weight up top, you know, it's just hard. It's hard. Uh-huh. It's hard to move. I like the two reactions of like both Scott and Warren want her, but obviously in different ways. Like Scott's putting her on a pedestal in love with her. And so Mm -hmm. he's like, the only way to get over her is to maybe even just leave the X-Men. So I never think about her again. It's too much pain, the love I'm in. And Warren's like, if I can't have her, I'm going to go 
hook up with ten other women. Yeah, it's like I just I just gotta date more girls. I just gotta date more girls, and that'll get her right off. And I'm not saying one is even wronger than the other because that's actually you know Warren's strategy isn't so horrible. It's not like they are dating. So if that's a way to, for him to get over her is just to think about other women. Okay, whatever <laughs> might be healthy. I wasn't sure if Kukul Khan was going to turn out to be real or not, so I looked him up, and sure enough, he's an actual Mayan deity. Yeah. Um, actually, sort of, I get the feeling that Mayans and Aztecs have a bit of overlap, maybe kind of like the Greek and Romans do, but not exactly mm-hmm. the same. Right. Um, so Kukul Khan in the Mayan uh, mythology is very closely related to Quetzalcoatl of the Aztec. Um, mm. So... And I know his name because he's one of their chief gods, and they thought that I think they caught thought that one of the first Europeans to arrive was like his chosen person or, or an incarnation of him or something like that. Do they say? I I also looked it up to see if it was a real thing, but that's as far as I went. And now I regret because I want to know like, do they say like what he's known for or abilities or things like that? I, or are they I don't just remember. making this up completely? Probably making it up completely. Okay. Yeah, because he doesn't and, seem like a... I don't know. He just turned to God on the last page, so we don't know if next issue he'll be different. But so far, his powers are just that he can make people do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And he can block Professor X from attacking his brain. And I feel like, you know, deities or gods aren't probably known for telepathy. Probably maybe. not, but they probably are known for just like being able to do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I did have a thought while you were saying that. What was it? I don't remember what... Oh, um, so the temple that like was hidden that they mm-hmm. find the, the temple of Kukul Khan, and maybe there's more than one, but there is a very well known temple of Kukul Khan that was never hidden at any point. We've known about it ever since we started, you know, oh. Europeans first arrived on the continent and started exploring mm-hmm. into the, the continent. Um, mm-hmm. but the funny thing is, is that it looks just like the drawing there. Oh. So their hidden drawing of the temple of Kukul Khan is um, just like the one that we've always known about. So I don't know exactly what he found, but that's okay. This is the Marvel version, I guess. It's the Marvel version. That's why Thor is blonde. Um, assuming, let's assume that this guy is actually a mutant, which we haven't had in, oh, I don't know, 25 issues, 23 issues, okay. whatever. Seems like forever. And let's assume he's not even a bad guy. Like, so how is Cerebro working? Are mutants so rare, or people with powers apparently, so rare that any power pops up or do they have to be in proximity like at least in new york like is it going to detect if there's a new mutant in like alaska or that's yeah, i don't know and on top of that what if they are like not bad guys or guys that are will- going through new york looking to use their power what if they are just meandering around because they have a job here or they just want to see the sights and live a normal life like are the x-men supposed to swarm around looking for them and like confront them and what? What exactly is the goal? You know? <laughs> well, it, it does mention that it's coming into proximity. It's approaching Manhattan. It's currently miles away. Okay. So I feel like it, it's turning on because they're getting close. Okay. However, it's a mutant detector that detects stuff that's not mutants. Right. So I feel like they should adjust it. So it's like every time Spider-Man swings by too close, it beeps. Right. Or... And again, I'm actually tr- what what is the school policy here? Are they going to recruit any mutant who comes by New York? New York's huge. And go make like a connection. Hey, you should come be in our party. Yeah, like how do they even know they want that? This is also the first time Cerebro has come with visual aids. Mm-hmm. Remember whenever there was like the list of nameplates with light bulbs beside them? Mm-hmm. 
and the light bulbs would light up if it detected them. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense either because it's like, okay, but those guys are always in New York. That's where they live. Yeah. Now it's just a projector. Mm-hmm. So either way, it's not really tied to Xavier and his uniqueness yet. Like, right. Like anybody can use this thing. It just is on. Uh, I um, feel like there should be an issue. Like, first of all, it'd be real. I mean, this is way too advanced for the 60s, but wouldn't it be cool if, like, we just knew their goal was to, like, hand out cards just to say, hey, we understand life is tough as a mutant. If you ever need help, here's a number you can call. And, like, that's it. Have you accepted Xavier as your Lord and Savior? Yeah, not that far. And I don't want them to have to recruit every single mutant they come across because that's kind of creepy and weird. And why? Oh, do- wait, wait. Yeah. Have you, have you accepted them as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. So I don't know. I just like, what is their purpose? Because it seems like they're firing on all cylinders to find this guy, and they don't even know who it is or what his purpose is or anything. Right, right. If he's good, if he's bad. If he, um, if he wants if to endanger just, his life every day for a mutant cause or not. Right, or if he's just trying to get a sandwich. It's like, dude, I can project a spot on the wall. I'm really not prepped for Magneto combat. My daughter's, have I mentioned this? My daughter's a mutant. Is she? Yeah, she's one tooth short in her... Uh, lower jaw. Oh, is that a thing? Because I didn't have two out of four wisdom teeth. Does that make me a mutant? Well, she's not. It's it's her regular set. Oh. And she's not. She doesn't have a, a gap where it should be. They're just all there together and she's one short. Huh. So for whatever reason, her body decided not to fill in the. Uh, to do, I don't know what the actual number is, but 16. And she has 15. Hmm. But they're all lined up like, the, like the, they look normal. There's just one short. But um, I don't know how once that works. El Tigre gets involved in uh-huh. New York, I check out of this comic so hard. Well, they report on the news that uh, there's a bar fight, and these three guys didn't fight at all. Like, how is that even newsworthy? But okay. And that's how Cyclops is like, oh, the three guys not fighting, they must be the mutants who caused the fight. Yeah, that's a really weird... <laughs> a really weird newscast and a really weird stretch. It's basically Scott being racist, I think. Xavier tried to reach out to them... And El Tigre, some unseen being, is attempting to probe my mind. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. I must erect a mental defense. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know. I I missed that day in school where they taught about erecting mental defenses. Unless this new power is being able to be mental, but I don't know. Yeah, you would think Professor X would be better at it than him. Right. Like have How way more practice. Know? Right. And why can't and by the way, why can't instead of being all snoopy, why doesn't Xavier go like, hey, I just wanted to give you my eight hundred number. Hope you're having a good day. Don't invite him back to fatigue, because you learned that lesson with the blog. Right. But still. Like, if you need anything, my kids are around and they can meet you at a coffee house and talk about mm. your dilemma or whatever. Share a macchiato. Or, you know, put a mind thing in him that wipes his brain or makes him lay down until they find him or or, or, or I don't know, any number of things that Professor X can do instead of just snoop on him for 30 minutes. Do you feel like Xavier always goes around, like, telling himself not to just light people's brains? He must. I think at some point they're going to write – someone's going to retcon and say, like, he uses that as a last resort because he doesn't like to manipulate people's minds. Because there's going to be someone writing in going, why didn't Xavier just take care of business every single issue? Man, I feel like I would be so tempted. Yeah. I'll just wipe that guy's brain. I'll just wipe her brain. Just wipe his brain. Or You know what? I don't want to deal with this. Wipe the brain. Or or put a plan a suggestion or anything, you know? There's so many you ways. You really want some nachos right now. Go get some nachos. <laughs> right. By the way, speaking of Xavier, wasn't there a thought in the beginning here where he says, I really envy them leaping into battle, but I must always just sit here in the car? It's like, that's a first, I think. 
that we've had of him like being envious of action? Um, or is it? I don't know. Just in the last couple of issues, they've really slammed that hard because they've also been doing his leg braces. Yeah. And before the reveal of the leg braces, like they've really, really weighted down the fact that he couldn't do anything. I keep kind of forgetting that they want him to be like he's old as in 30. Because mm-hmm. to me, Xavier's old as in like 70. So it's weird for him <laughs> to want to do action, you know? Right. But I'm, I'm really ready to get away okay. from El Tigre and go yeah. see what's up with El yep. Ale. Yep. But is this like a third mythology officially for us, or does this not count? I can say the Mayans are a third mythology. Okay. I mean, we'll find out next issue how it really works, if he's really that person, or if he's just like, I don't know how it works. Same as Thor, really. Anyway, speaking of non-godly, Daredevil, number 21, The Trap is Sprung. <sighs> Spellbinding script, Stan Lee, phenomenal penciling, Gene Colan, dynamic delineator, Ooh, that's really tiny font. Dynamic delineation with Fearless Frank, Darling Dick, and Wild Bill. Laudatory lettering, Artie Semek, and bombastic bird-watching Irving Forbush. Last-ish, we saw Matt Murdock forced by the omnivorous, omnivorous owl to serve as defense attorney at the preposterous trial of the owl's captive, ex-Judge Lewis. A trial wherein the owl and his cutthroats were judge and jury, swiftly, secretly, Changing into Daredevil, Matt suddenly finds himself trapped. And now, literature lover, you're on your own. And trapped is, once again, just like the last time, like some sort of birdcage hanging from the ceiling. The owl presses a button, and the bottom of the cage opens. And Daredevil falls into a bottomless pit and dies. But no, he doesn't, because he's Daredevil. So he grabs the edge of the cage as he's about to fall in. But the owl... Uh, factor that in and he flips another switch and gas comes out of the cage and it's like oh no it's heat he makes the cage hot and even though he has gloves on daredevil's like i can't hold on much longer so he lets go and he falls into a bottomless pit but no he doesn't because he's daredevil and he pulls out his billy club that you know he still has because they forgot about and he hooks onto the cage and he swings to the ledge to safety and he starts mopping up all the the villainous jury fake jury and the owl and the owl freaks out and says let's get the head out of here and he runs away and he's like whatever you do daredevil don't follow me down this tunnel wink wink and daredevil's like well i could just take the judge and leave but no i'm gonna follow him down this tunnel and as he's doing that the castle they're on starts falling apart and at first daredevil's like oh it's all this fighting we're doing maybe it's just shaking up the old you know, walls and stuff. But then he quickly comes to realize that the owl built all this on an active volcano and it's starting to explode and rumble and stuff. But that doesn't stop him. He keeps going down that tunnel and that's exactly what the owl wanted because inside the tunnel is a secret lair that holds his giant owl robot. And as Mm -hmm. soon as Daredevil comes in, he clicks the switch and the giant owl robot attacks Daredevil. There's some back and forth. Daredevil barely surviving because the thing's really fast and it's made of metal and it doesn't feel pain and stuff. But then Daredevil suddenly realizes, well, actually, the owl is the Wizard of Oz over here and he's controlling it. So let me just throw my billy club at him. So he does. And that knocks the owl off the controls. And that also breaks the controls and makes them go... And that uh, uh, causes a big explosion. And the owl is now kind of like just doing its own thing and it swoops by both of them and 
I'm sorry, the robotic owl swoops by both of them and the human owl and Daredevil jump on board and they get into a fi- an aerial fight um, to which the owl thinks he's going to win because he can actually fly. But Daredevil gets the upper hand because he knows martial arts and how to kick and stuff. And he tricks the owl into jumping right over him and falling off the gigantic robot owl. But again, the owl can fly, so he gets away. And Daredevil realizes he can like control the robot owl by putting pressure in various places to kind of make it glide where he wants it to. He swoops by and grabs the judge just as the whole place is exploding. And there's a big giant splash page of the volcano erupting and Daredevil and the judge on a golden robot owl flying away happily ever after. The end. You got to watch out for your giant robotic owl ships because some of those have been used for um, intimate activities and you don't know how clean they are man if this wasn't drawn by gene colon (laughs) that is the only thing that made me happy about this pretty much he he really he really elevates what is probably pretty horrible this is a pretty kooky story you are right yes um it's i mean it's the owl the owl Uh, is rare I, i don't know He's not one of my favorites. He sure hasn't been so far. He's basically been this both times. Mm-hmm. And there are things I like about him. and There are things that he does that are cool. But, I mean, you're right. If you look at page two and three, uh-huh. the pages are hugely interesting because uh-huh. of the perspectives uh-huh. and the, the drama and that bottomless pit. Mm-hmm. Okay. How come nobody ever says, oh, a bottomless pit? That's fantastic. <laughs> I'll never hit the bottom. So I'll never die. <laughs> well, I always wonder, is it actually bottomless or how does that work? It must like have a bottom at some point. My dad said to me once that a truly bottomless pit would be a pit that goes all the way through the center of the earth and comes out the other side. Right. Because you would, you would accelerate so much going to the core of the earth and you would lose that acceleration as you approach the outer edge of the planet and you would get just to the edge and then fall back in. Right. And it'd have to be like a big hole through the planet Earth, basically. Right. Yeah. And even then, there's got to be molten lava in there somewhere or too much heat or something. I don't know. Or just really big fish swimming around in water. Didn't you see Star Wars? It's just like every time I see a bottomless pit, it's like, dude, the Fantastic Four need to get on this. What is this? Where did this come from? Right. Uh, I'm going to assume it's not bottomless and he would just splat at some point. So it's a good thing he saved himself probably. But Probably. Probably. But uh, 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 yeah, why owl? Why like the judge thing went nowhere? And why owl? Why did you make this big giant owl-shaped headquarters on an active volcano? Seems odd. Odd choice. Like I think didn't they say they didn't know it was active? Like it shouldn't have been active. I guess, but geez, do a little like do a little like scouting or something. I don't know. I was mystified by the whole my forbidden chamber uh-huh. shtick mm-hmm. because. It's not forbidden to anyone. No. And why – like Daredevil just went right into the trap. You wanted him to go there, so you weren't forbidding it to Daredevil. Uh-huh. Everyone knows it's got your owl ship in it. Like your henchmen know that. Mm-hmm. So why is it your – is it just – that's what you want to call it. It's my forbidden chamber. That's just where I go. So, I so here it is. Like the owl initially, that first half issue of the owl where he was like basically the kingpin and feared and all that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then he turned into a James Bond villain. And it's like, okay, so fine. He's a James Bond villain. In this, he's very much a James Bond villain. He has his own giant volcanic volcanic lair 
he's wahahaing all the time and like he treats his henchmen horribly and kills them and stuff. But it's like, but he's not trying to take over the world either. He just wants to do this weird Joker court thing because someone miffed him once. Mm. So it's like, which is it? Is he elevated or is he not elevated? I'd kind of rather him just be like a gangster, which I think is what they turn him into eventually. More like just one of the 28 head gangsters in New York or something. Right. I feel like that's what he is, too. That's what he is in the Daredevil TV show. He's just yeah. He's just one of the crime bosses. Yeah. So maybe once Miller comes along, they like downgrade him a little bit and stop making him so crazy with these giant robots and things. But mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like it's fine if he wants to be a giant over-the-top 60s Bond villain. But then if that's the case, I want him to have a plot that, that you know, uh, involves something bigger, maybe, in terms of what he wants. Okay, I just remember, just out of nowhere, I just remember my favorite owl fact. Okay. And this is worthy, maybe, of a dead show, show and singer, but I'm going to go ahead and say it now. My favorite owl fact is at the end of the first arc of X Factor, mm-hmm. whenever they go to reveal the big bad who's behind everything, they were going to reveal the owl. Mm-hmm. And the editor's like, no. <laughs> a. The owl's not cool. Uh-huh. And B, you've got a pretty cool mystique going on here. You gotta you gotta elevate this. Mm-hmm. And so they invented this idea out of nowhere, apocalypse. Oh gosh, that X Factor. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. So the first reveal of Apocalypse being behind the bad guys that are asking X Factor is because he's not the owl. <laughs> He is a little cooler than the owl, maybe. A little bit, a little bit cooler. I mean, even though he's just like this weird shape-shifting dude, not shape-shifting so much, but like, you know, he can change himself. Who's horrible Um, in movies, but still. Yeah, he did some good stuff in comics. Anyways, Apocalypse, a.k.a. not the owl. So this also, this issue has zero um, happy or Karen. (gasps) You're right. It seems like that's been a while since we've had a side plot missing in daredevil this is very straightforward i was actually surprised it was over so quickly uh yeah ends. actually i had the same thought I remember that now yeah i had the same thought because he just gets on the owl and it's they're suddenly flying it's mm-hmm. like oh okay we had so much really big art along the way that it's like okay i guess that was the last page then. so the owl gets away and daredevil flies a judge back to new york city in a giant robot owl which i seriously doubt we'll ever see again even mm-hmm. though Dang, keep that thing or something. Turn it over to somebody. And also, I mean, not for nothing, the blind man is navigating them back to land. <laughs> That's right. He can just smell the sewer, I guess. I don't know. I guess. Yeah, it was okay. I don't know why it needed to be two parts. Honestly, I thought the fake trial thing was kind of interesting, and I just am, uh, I'm not upset, but it's like kind of sad they just abandoned that immediately. Yeah, the the fake trial did have like a kitschy fun. Like that's that's sixties comics, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's sixties comics being sixties comics. This is not as great sixties comics. Mm-hmm. It would have been cooler yeah, to see Matt. On? It would have been cooler to see Matt like struggle to follow the rules that are not fair mm-hmm. to keep that guy alive or whatever. To try to figure out a defense for him, mm-hmm. yeah. But it turns out the entire thing. We he said the last issue. The entire fake uh, thing was just a trap for Daredevil. That's all it was. Yeah. Sure. Okay. How was Daredevil going to get there and be trapped? Nobody freaking knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Sergeant Fury 35. Yay. And with this, we leave behind August 2nd and start into August 9th. Ah. Um, so 
we've had this multi-part story. Don't start no continued stories, kids. Uh-huh. Um, two issues ago, uh, the mission ended with Fury having to leave behind all the other Howlers in Greece while he got um, a member of royalty to safety because he was going to band together all the different Greek uh, rebellion cells to like fight the Nazis. And um, so Fury left, and last issue, he was all bellyaching about how he couldn't get back to Greece and save his friends. We had some trips back in time to see how all of this started. And then Fury uh, found out that the higher-ups, the G2 uh, intelligence people, had figured out that his missing squad was en route to Berlin to be executed. And now uh, Fury and uh, McGivney are leading a team to go stop or to go save the Howlers. Yeah. Um, McGivney is taking his chief lieutenant Kitchens or something. Uh, Kittens. I yeah, I don't name. know. Uh-huh. And Fury is given as his right-hand man, Eric Koenig, who is a character we have met before. He was a uh, um, German Nazi officer, uh, whatever... Fury like went and like finagled his way into a, a Nazi dinner. He was there working for one of the officers. Um, he pretty much rebelled during that issue and got Fury out of Germany and came back to the States with Fury. And he's been in the United States ever since then, just off the page. I don't know, brushing up on his English and becoming a uh, better um, British person. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so here we are Berlin breakout. Edited by Stan Lee, scripted by Roy Thomas, drawn by Dick Ayers, inked by John Tartaglioni, lettered by Sam Rosen, and picketed by Baron Strucker. Oh, good. That's a callback. That's a good one. Baron Strucker's not even in this comic anymore. That's why he's picketing. So Sam Sawyer says, hey, y'all are going to go save your friends, but the only way we can get this to happen is because we're going to do this while we're doing another mission. You're going to go to Berlin and you're going to get all the information you can on troop positions, uh, um, layouts, plans, everything you can on Berlin intelligence. You've got to bring that back with you or we're all going to get in trouble for doing this. Like, okay. Um, McGivney does not like the fact that he's working for Fury, but Fury is the one who's in charge and McGivney's just going to have to suck it up and deal. Meanwhile, we find out that the, um, the Howlers. No, I'm sorry. That was not that flashback. Um, Fury and Koenig have some conversations. Eric Koenig has um, basically, he quickly realized he did not sympathize with the Nazi cause. He had been disenchanted with his service in the military for a while and was basically looking for a way out. And everything that happened with Fury many issues ago was that way out. And now he's just looking for a chance to prove he can be trusted. He's loyal to Germany, but he's loyal to the Germany that was. And he wants to get Hitler and the Nazi regime out of his country. So that's where he's coming from. Uh, and he is going to go with McGivney and McGivney Jr. and Fury to go this mission. Okay, so um, all that's happening. Fury and McGivney get into like a fist fight right there in front of Sam Sawyer, but Sawyer doesn't care. Uh, they get into a plane and Koenig is flying the plane, but he's not super confident in his flying ability. He's only been, you know, checked out on a few models of aircraft, not this one. 
we check in with the uh, the howlers and Dino, well, all the howlers in the back of a prison truck. And Dino is sitting out towards the front, listening in on the conversation between the uh, Nazi soldiers to find out exactly what the plans are. They're being driven because Hitler wants to kill them personally. He had them rounded up in Greece and he's having them brought to Berlin so that he can pull the trigger at the firing squad. Which is kind of weird because the whole point of a firing squad is that no one knows who actually killed the people. You just have a whole, but you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, the Nazi Air Force realizes that Fury's plane is not really a Nazi plane, so they start fighting and uh, shooting at it. Koenig is able to keep them aloft long enough to bail out in parachutes. Um, they land and find Koenig's sister's house. And she is very grateful to Sergeant Fury for helping her brother get out of his situation. And now they can work in the underground to help bring back the Germany they love. Meanwhile, Hitler is talking to Goebbels and he wants to be there to shoot the um, uh, commandos. And he's pretty certain that Fury is going to show up too. But they are going to televise the, uh, the, the firing squad as a propaganda victory. Um, so Fury and Koenig are walking through Germany, pretending to be Germans, and they get themselves hooked up with this whole thing. So Fury is actually behind one of the cameras filming all of this. The other commandos are lined up. Hitler comes out, takes the gun to shoot them, and then sees Fury behind the camera. He says, look, it's commandos. Kill Nick Fury. And of course, uh, things don't exactly go that well. Um, the commandos are able to fight their way out. Um, they're in some sort of opera house, I guess was the location they were, they were filming this from. And in their efforts to get out of the opera house, the way they're positioned, they need to distract the, um, the Nazi guns. And so Dino Manelli gets it in his idea. Okay. If I can leap from this place where we're standing through the air, onto that balcony over there, I can draw their fire and help everyone else get away. And then maybe I could rejoin them. And they're like, no, if the jump doesn't kill you, the Nazis will just take you down. And Manelli's like, it doesn't matter. I've got to do this. And he jumps and um, he does succeed in drawing the Nazi fire. He draws so much Nazi fire. He's mortally wounded. And uh, whenever the uh, other howlers are able to grab him, they don't want to leave him behind because very sad. I'm bringing back all of the howlers or I'm not coming back. And so he throws Manelli over his shoulder and they get away. And f- and Hitler cries into his Cheerios because he lost the chance to kill the commandos. Why didn't I just kill them in Greece? Um, Koenig's sister nurses Manelli, gets him stabilized. And um, they hightail it back to uh, the British um, hospital. Manelli is uh, kept, you know, brought back conscious. He's going to heal, but he's not going to be able to rejoin the war. The doctor says he'll live, but no war is going to last long enough for him to get back in. So um, they're going to send him back to the States, and he's going to spend his time with the war in the hospital healing up. So the um, howlers are down one man. But just kidding, because they have just been recruited Eric Koenig into their ranks. Yeah. So 
Was Dino in the annual? Yes. All righty. So he recovers at some point, I guess. I guess he does. And, um, and Eric could possibly die. Finally, we have a character that could possibly die. A character that could possibly die. You are correct. Because So our first annual was like the Korean War. Uh-huh. And all of our howlers were there, except, of course, Virginia. Right. Um, and that's when we found out that no one can die. Right. They made a big mistake there. Our second annual was D-Day, and we felt like it could just slot in right where we are. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't really need any special treatment, but the timelines place it way down the road, possibly after Koenig leaves the series. Because mm-hmm. he's in the series for a while. Um, I stopped reading ahead of the show, but I'm a good six or nine months whenever I stopped ahead of the show, mm-hmm. and he was still in the book. Well, and he does become a modern character at some point also. So he, he doesn't die. I know he doesn't die. But if you're reading this in 1960s, you don't know if he, does, if he dies or not. Oh, I honestly did not know he does. Oh, so sorry. He becomes a modern character? Spo- he does die eventually. Spoilers. But yeah. Everyone dies eventually. Even the Watcher dies eventually. He dies in a in um yeah like when Shield gets disbanded in Marvel like he he picks up and creates his own Shield sort of thing I guess. Okay okay. So he's like a loyal dude till the end, but I guess he had an end. Is there anything about him like having clones or something? Why? So he's an MCU character and he's played by Pat Oswalt. <laughs> right. I learned that also. And he uh-huh. is. Very well known for having a whole bunch of identical brothers in the in the Agents of Shield show. Yeah, okay. Like Pat Oswalt plays Eric Koenig and like at least two other Koenigs. Oh, well, I don't know about and that. I think he may, I think they may just say Koenig in the uh, in the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying Koenig because I'm trying to sound German. Um, but yeah, so he's there and he's in Shield and he's totally Shield guy, but. Um, but yeah, I just don't know if the clone thing was just like a joke they had came up with when they were sitting around one day. I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing with him. He does get the serum like Nick Fury, so he doesn't age. Just mm-hmm. like dumb, dumb. Uh, uh, I kind of feel like he's triplicate girl. I feel like they really retcon him in this in a way. Like you can get away with what they're doing here, but they made him a little more handsome than I remember. And originally the story was, I really hate this guy who's bossing me around. He's a big jerk. So I'm going to help Nick Fury instead. And now it's more like I'm being a patriot. Mm, I don't know. Okay. It's just slightly askew. You could argue that both things were going through his brain, but I didn't. I didn't pick up like the this idea that he was he was wanting to restore Germany to its former glory in that original appearance. It was more like this guy that is my boss is stepping on my neck all the time, and now he wants me to shoot Fury, and I just feel like betraying him because he's a jerk. Maybe it was a gradual shift of thought. Mm-hmm. Maybe because he was in the military, he was working for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, um, you could say that his time in America has helped him. You know, think even more so why he why he turned on them. It'd be in England, but yes, I'm sorry, England. Yeah, since he's been with the Allies, mm-hmm. which apparently has been some time. But yeah, initially I was reading this, going, "Who is this guy again?" Oh yeah, that guy. I remember that. So when we reread that story, or whenever I reread it, whenever I read it for this show. Mm-hmm. I knew about this. Okay. And so when I was reading it for then, I uh, I guess maybe it was colored because I, I expected him to be coming over to our side eventually. So I guess I was reading it through those eyes. Mm. But I agree they probably did not have that planned at that time. That was mm. something that um, they followed up on. Well, and he certainly didn't look like, you know, an, a, a German Captain America. Well, German, Captain America looks like a German Captain America. I don't know what that means, but... 
He just looks more <laughs> handsome and heroic now because he's a holler. He fills out the Aryan ideal much the way that Hitler doesn't. Yes. So do you feel like, I mean, I really think I like McGivney, and I feel like if this was called Sergeant McGivney and his howling rebels, I would not mm-hmm. like Nick Fury because it's from McGivney's point of view. You know, like these dudes are so close alike. They're basically the same person. And so really, why do we not like McGivney? Just because our hero does it. Because he's the other high school that that really feels like all there is to it. Right. And so like when he was in this, I'm like, one, super logical, have the other howlers save the howlers. Right. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I really like that story element. And then two, I love that. Like at first he doesn't like the Nazi and doesn't trust him. And I thought, oh, God, are they using McGivney to be like a racist? But then I thought to myself, you know, if this was on the other shoe, Nick Fury could easily be saying these same things, not trusting the Nazi, you know? Right. And right. then in the end, McGivney's like, I'm sorry that I gave you such a hard time. You've really been pulling your weight and you're awesome. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. that was a cool scene. So I like McGivney. I want there to be more. I looked him up. He does not survive to modern marvel as far as i can tell like okay. outside of sergeant fury i don't think he's ever made an appearance which is kind of weird it'd be cool if he did but uh yeah i liked his involvement in this story a lot maybe he was not considered worthy of the serum i guess you would think he would at least get mentioned once in a while <laughs> when fury's thinking of his lost loves <laughs> maybe or like we know his fate like did he die in the war did he make it and survive and retire and live happily ever after or does he own a bar now what now I want to go find out what issue number his last appearance is and just like flag it. So I know whenever we get to it, like that's his last appearance and see if they do anything special with it. Yeah, that would be cool. Cause what I expect is that it's his last appearance because they used him there and they just didn't use him again before the series went to reprints. Um, but maybe his last appearance is actually an end of a story somehow. Like what if young spy Nick Fury visits McGivney's bar and McGivney's like 80 years old and he runs the bar and they reminisce about the old days when they hated each other. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, um, like, um, friggin', uh, who's the, who's the guy in Superman? Um, a Bill Bibbo or whatever. Bibbo. Yes. Yeah. It's not Bubba. What is it? Yeah. Like yeah. that. Only with, Bibbo only with animosity instead of hero worship. Yes. That would be great. I'd buy that for a dollar. You know, this Nick Fury doesn't even exist anymore, so that's not going to work. Anyway, Shall we go on to Tales of Suspense? Oh, gosh. Sure. That's my job, isn't it? Okay. It is. Yeah, two jobs. Yay, Captain America. But first, Iron Man in victory. So guess what, kids? Someone is victorious in this story. Smiling Stan Lee, author, genial Gene Colan artist, gleeful Gary Michaels, inker, affable Artie Semek, letterer, ineffable Irving Forbush, referee. During his epic battle with the giant Titanium Man, the Golden Avenger is called upon to surrender when the girl he loves, that's Pepper, is caught in his foe's deadly high-voltage electric ray. And now, let's go! So yeah, she's caught in the ray. She's apparently being electrified. She's like, leave me, Iron Man. It's okay. He's like, heck no. And he throws that cable that he used to get himself out of the electrical ray at Titanium Man and shouts, Pepper, duck! So she ducks. And it hits Titanium Man, and she's free. And he's like, now get out of here because I care about you a lot. And she thinks to herself, he cares about me a lot? That sounds like he cares about me a lot. And then they get into a big fight. There's lots of punching. Iron Man's really mad now, actually. He's punching hard and angry and doesn't really work because Titanium Man's still made out of titanium. Um, He tries to bust out a 
drill, uh, diamond cutting drill thing from his chest, and he smacks it on Titanium Man. But that doesn't work. The Titanium Man grabs him, and he's like, yeah, but that was my plan the whole time. Thanks. And he uses his rocket boosters to shoom out of there, and that causes, like titanium man to be disoriented and then he flies around behind titanium man and starts like finding the access point in his helmet and you know pulling it apart and titanium man's like get off me get off me but he can't get him off because he's on his back but he finally does uh, he finally shoes iron man off but then it turns out iron man's fine with that because he succeeded in overloading titanium man's system so Titanium Man's like, oh, I feel weird. I feel wobbly. And he's standing there, and Iron Man gives him one final bwang punch. And it's so powerful. Or I'm not sure if the punch is powerful or, like, it caused an explosion from, you know, the tankering or whatever. But somehow there's a thunderous sonic boom that fills the air, and it makes everybody go – there's, like, all these spectators watching, just like last issue. And they cover their ears and they scream. And Happy's like, I feel – I I can remember. And Pepper's like, oh, cool. I forgot that you don't remember anything. Yes, I can remember. <laughs> and then uh, Senator – so Titanium Man loses. Senator Bird comes out and does the reverse J. Jonah Jameson and thinks Iron Man's the greatest. Dang that horrible Tony Stark. But I love you, Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man, quote, unquote, flies away. Oh, Titanium Man flies away while they're all congratulating Iron Man. And uh, he's rendezvousing with a secret Russian sub. But they're like, ooh, you lost twice now? We're not going to pick you up. And so Titanium Man is left in the water to drown, basically, as the submarine, uh, I don't know, float. what is it? Floats away? Swims away? Drives away? I don't know. Dives away? Dives away, probably. And, yeah, we're left with Tony Stark showing up. And Pepper actually showing real, like, concern for his well-being all of a sudden again and hugging him. And Professor – or Senator Byrd's like, finally, you're coming to the Washington. And secretly happy is thinking, I remember who you really are, Mr. Stark Iron Man. Dun-dun-dun. Watch Marvel superheroes on TV. Yeah. Um, We've been getting those ads, by the way. I keep forgetting to mention that, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, the, the Marvel Superheroes TV show is definitely being uh, advertised in these comics. Uh-huh. Um, so if you forgot that Happy <laughs> forgot everything, well, they eventually remember here. We did not forget, but we sure wondered. Yeah, we sure wondered if they had forgotten. Yeah, and I guess they decided not to. So cool drama. So, 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 parallelism, he lost his memory at a Titania Man fight. Oh. He gets his memory back oh. at a Titania Man fight. Cool. We have been on this one little arc, <sighs> this one little like journey from Titania Man to Titania Man. So basically we could skip the middle and still be exactly dramatically where we already were. The only thing that's different is that Happy knows who uh, Iron Man is. Also, Tony and Pepper. Like This feels a little out of nowhere to me. It very much does. Last we checked in, Pepper did not like Tony anymore. No, and she and Happy were you know, growing together. She liked Iron Man. She was starting to fall in love with Iron Man because she realized she, he was doing all the work. Yeah, yeah. And even in... I don't think they actually know what's going on anymore because it's been so long and drawn out. Yeah, it's one of... It's this and Submariner both feel like it just keeps going back to where we started again and again mm-hmm. and again. So it's like, can we get to the freaking Senate now? Can we move forward? Can we get to... Some sort of something moving motion here. Ugh. 
I am excited so about it, happy remembering who Iron Man is, though. That is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully it doesn't go with Amnesia or something <sighs> else against it. Hopefully he actually remembers now. I'm surprised if this does last forever. Like, if this is it. I'm kind of surprised it happened this early. I am, too. Um, side effect of reading that Iron Man epic collection mm-hmm. is that they elements of how this whole thing exits the book. Uh-huh. I am now familiar with some of those, those plot developments. Okay. So it's a little bit more than I've, I've ever had before when reading this particular story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, it seems like, okay, I don't know, maybe they'll undo it again, but it seems like happy now knows. It seems like everybody knows that Bruce Banner's the Hulk and they're not backing off on that. Mm-hmm. And so far they haven't undone Jane knowing that what's his face is Thor. Not that they've been together right. since, but she still knows. So I'm just, and I don't think either one of those is going anywhere. Yeah. Hulk's identity is out forever. That is amazing to me that it was that quick. But I don't know if the stuff with Happy, if the little bits I do know happen and Happy knows he's Iron Man the entire time, mm. or if not. Maybe maybe Pepper finds out. Right, we'll see. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know. I like the fight. It was fun, but it's just one. It's just a giant big fight. Trying to. It is just a giant big fight. There's not a whole lot going on there. Yeah. Um, Poor Titanium Man. Like, I feel like if I were the Russians, I'd still want to take him home because he's got this billion-dollar suit that we could maybe tinker on or something. I just looked at my notes because I was trying to figure out what I was going to say about this. I I realized that I read page two and I thought, oh, wait, is she going to have a crush on Iron Man now? But then I realized I kind of can't be bothered. I want to care, but I'm a little tired of the dancing love quadrangle. She already did. Yeah. She saved him from the Black Knight. She was super in love with him at that point. Uh, the president shows up in this comic, and it has been a minute since we saw the actual U.S. president in these comics. Where was the pro- – oh, yeah, right there. That's right, yeah. I think we've seen Johnson before once, but Kennedy is the last one I really remember seeing. It's like every time Iron Man and Titanium Man fight, there's this whole thing about the world watching. America mm-hmm. versus Russia, I guess. That's twice now. So it really does seem like a similar story in a way. Right. Titanium Man's going after this uh, submarine and they leave him. And I'm like, that feeling when you miss the bus for school by like a smidge. So does he just die here? Are they going to find him on the bottom of the ocean? Floating away. Does he float or is he going to sink? Depends on how intact his suit is and how water waterproof it is. Because, I mean, he could he could have enough buoyancy inside that suit. He could fly back. Yeah, you'd think Iron Man would go after him. That was a little mm-hmm. like, okay, see you later. But maybe he didn't know which way he went or something. It says his cries carried away by the unheeding winds. We don't know. What he, we don't know about him. Mm-hmm. And my note here is that I'm honestly a little bit disappointed in Pepper for going back to Tony. That seems like, like a big backpedal. I was so worried about you. I couldn't imagine where you were. Now she could have just legit been worried, but she has been so mad at him lately that this just seems weird. And on top of being mad at Tony, she has been honestly involved with happy yeah true we didn't really see any of their conversations during this whole amnesic thing but they haven't really had much of a presence so i'm hoping that means they it comes back now that he's got this drama going on that's true i remember i remember noting that last time we were in iron man that like they haven't really had a presence in the book for a while all right all right enter tumblr oh the tumblr uh, captain america tumbles is mighty tumblr enter dot 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 the Tumblr, exclamation point. Oh, wait. What? Wait. This is what Gwen Stacy was talking about. What? Peter Parker hasn't given her a tumble. Oh, is this Gwen Stacy? 
I, I don't know, but I'm sure it ties in somehow. Tell us what happens. We'll see if it's I think connected. she's in this, yeah. Okay, so a Stanley Jack Kirby pandemonium-packed production delineated by Richard Ayers, otherwise known as Dick, lettered by Samuel Rosen, or How Formal Can You Be? I believe there's a caption on the next page, so let me read that. If you were injudish, injudicious enough to have missed our preceding-ish, shame on you, the Tumblr's victim is actually the last criminal creation of AIM, a strange being known as the Adaptoid. So yeah, this story really kicks off with sort of a, whoa, did I miss an issue feel, kind of. Because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. opening splash page is the Tumblr just legit crashing through Avengers Mansion, attacking fake Captain America. And so it's like, whoa, what what was the buildup for here? But then don't worry, fellow uh, 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 listeners, they, they, they go backwards eventually. So anyway, Tumblr comes in. He starts fighting fake Captain America. Fake Captain America thinks to himself, I'm Captain America now, so I can beat the Tumblr. But he's having a rough go of it. The Tumblr is proving to be a superior match. He ultimately knocks the Adaptoid down and takes Cap's shield and starts thinking to himself how great he is. Now we get the flashback. The flashback of him being like a little urchin kid who was so lame that even gangsters didn't want him to be part of like their group. One day he's at home being a loser and he reads a newspaper article that says, Captain America leads Avengers to new victory. And he's like, Cap doesn't even have powers. If he can do stuff like this, so can I. So he joins a circus and becomes the best acrobat in the world. He also competes with the strongman to be the strongest guy in the world. He learns how to juggle, all this stuff. And then he comes up with the name Tumblr, and he decides to make a name for himself by attacking Captain America. So here we are, attacking Captain America. Little does he know he's not attacking Captain America. He's attacking the super adaptoid, who says out loud, uh... I should be fighting you just like the real Cap. And Tumblr's like, what? What do you mean the real Cap? You are the real Cap. And starts beating on him some more. And then he punches him through, or no, he picks him up and throws him through a wall, basically, or a door. Anyway, something that breaks. Meanwhile, the real Cap is tied up in a closet. And, you know, living legend of World War II that he is, he breaks out of those bonds fairly easily because that's not the first time someone's tied him up. And he answers, or so... It cuts to, it's kind of this cool juxtaposition sort of like of the Tumblr standing there where he threw the fake cap through the hole in the wall. And he's like, come back here and let me finish you off. And then the real cap jumps through the hole and goes, well, I don't know who you are, but okay, let's fight. And so then they start fighting again. Only this time it's with real cap. And this time real cap is like way better than super adaptoid cap. And the Tumblr's like, what's going on? How is this guy like getting a second win? He's, he wasn't this good last time. He didn't punch me this hard last time. He wasn't this fast last time. And ultimately cap just beats the heck out of him. Like he's nothing. And then calls the police and he's like, yeah, okay, this guy's weird, but I'll just tie him up. What I'm really worried about is this fake cap. So he finds Jarvis and the two of them bring fake cap to the like examination science, Ant-Man, Iron Man room. And they keep him tied up and they leave him. And he, and while they're gone, Cap turns back into the super adaptoid, which is just basically like this mannequin-looking guy. And he thinks to himself, I've gained more knowledge. I've gained more skill. I'm also a robot, so I have all the patience in the world. And I can just sit here and uh, wait and plot and plan. The plan that will not fail to destroy Captain America. Next issue, the plan. Plan. The plan. The plan, boss. The plan. The plan. Um... So yeah, Captain America is not in this very much. It's like 
mostly a fake out. It's basically just like a an ego fluff. Like, let's show the world that, yeah, he doesn't have any powers, but it's still Captain America's one of a kind. You can't just copy him, kind of. Right, thing. right. Yeah. So in that sense, it's a pretty fun read. But yeah, in terms of like character beats or anything, he's not really in this very much. Which, but yeah, I mean, that was really a knock. It was just like, you yeah. Know, that's what they did here. It's, it's, it's more about the character of the super adaptoid, if anything. Because mm-hmm. he's like, he's having very human thoughts for a robot. But he's just like, and maybe that's the byproduct of scanning and becoming a human or something. I don't know how he works exactly. But he's just like really shocked that he's not as good as he thinks he should be. Right. So whatever he copies, it's not a whole lot below the surface. Which you got to wonder about anyway, like. And I don't want to get too into the science of it, but if if you if he scans you, sure he might have your physical body, but does that mean he has all your abilities too? Like if he scans me, does he know how to play guitar badly, or like how does that work? Knows how to do it badly. Well, because I play guitar badly, so he play guitar just as badly, or does mm. he have any idea how to play guitar just because he has my physical form? And if he does know how to play guitar, is he somehow taking some of my mind too? And if he's taking my mind, does he know my bank account password? Or is he just like, he's not stealing Hulk's strength. He's taking Cap's martial arts abilities. That's a mental thing more than anything. Right. So did he expect to be an awesome fighter? Does he read minds? I don't know. I'm thinking too much into this probably, but. Well, it kind of brings us to like a, an existential crisis or whatever that the synthesoid character is, is, is going through. Uh-huh. Um, but am I wrong? Have you mentioned the Tumblr before? I did. Back in the Acrobat story? Because I mixed the two up. So this is the guy right. I was actually trying to talk about when I was talking about the Acrobat, I think. Or do I have that backwards? I still don't know. I don't even think it's the same character. I think there's two Tumblrs, but I'm not sure. Oh, Okay. And I don't even remember why we were talking about him now. Just because to show that well, Cap was even better than him? Well, I think because that acrobat, first Johnny Storm fights him as the acrobat. Mm-hmm. And then he pretends to be Captain America. And I think that reminded Joe the Tumbler. Oh. Because where the acrobat was the Captain right. America tryout character. So I did get those two confused. The Tumbler is who I was thinking of that he teams up with at some point in his own Volume 1 series. Okay. And totally out-tumbles him which I think is humorous because you're out tumbling the tumbler. That just seems horrible, like out running the flash or something. That's the one thing I can do. Right. But there is, I believe, an issue. I don't know where it was now, like Untold or Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, that Legends book or whatever, where he and Human Torch hook up and Torch tells him that story of the time he fought Captain America or thought he did. Yeah, I've seen pages from that. Yeah, yeah. so that's cool too, but I don't remember what issue that's. Um, let's see. Mostly this is cool for showcasing the Adaptoid's ability to take on powers. So he's not he's not a perfect Captain America. Mm-hmm. But he does, you know, a half decent Captain America. Yeah. He's not as good as, but it's not terrible. It's a fun. Uh so yeah. setting up the future developments with the Adaptoid, I think, is pretty good here. And it's just fun to like have the fake cap go through the hole and then the real cap come back out and and yeah. and, and, and Tumblr not understanding there's a difference. It's kind of like when Griff throws Marty Jr. behind the counter and then Marty yes! Sr. stands up and stares him down. Exactly like that. Right. One's better than the other. Exactly. Uh, but it's a pretty simple chapter. I don't have a whole lot on it. No, it is kind of disconcerting how easy, easily the Tumblr invades Avengers Mansion. They, want, they might want to look into like bulletproof glass or something. 
Well, I've been there. It's really just, I mean, there's just like some, some black metal fencing up. Yeah. If, between the, uh, the mansion and the sidewalk. Um, so Avengers has a lab analysis room, if that matters to anybody. Whatever that means. We kind of knew that already, probably. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't know what they're ana- I don't know what they're analyzing in there. The super adaptoid. I guess that's something they can Probably in the future they're gonna do lots of analysis and Hank's gonna need a place to analyze it. Well in Earth's Mightiest Heroes, when they discover Cap, they analysis him. Oh so yeah. Maybe that's that yeah, same yeah. room. Anyway, yeah, not much to say about that story, but it was fun to read. And I, I don't know if it's going to go immediately into what I'm expecting with this guy in the plan. It is. Okay, okay. That's the next cover. I don't know why I'm not spoiling. But, That's the next but I, cover. I, you know. Is a cap cover okay. with that uh, green giant robot. Yep. Right, 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 right. Okay, well, um, that brings us to the end of our coverage for this episode, which, you know, not, not too long, not going too long in the tooth here. Um. We could almost have time to squeeze one more in, but we're not going to. So we're going to save it for next time. So next time on an all-new episode of Make Ours Marvel. And every time I do that, I think both of the Star Trek announcer, but also Andrew Leyland imitating the Star Trek announcer. So I'm not trying to imitate Andrew Leyland, but that's what I'm doing. Um, We are going to be covering four more comics. Those are The Avengers 33, The Fantastic Four 56, Amazing Spider-Man 42, and Strange Tales 150 in an episode that I like to call Face It, Tiger. (gasps) Because of Claw coming back? Yes, because Claw comes back (laughs) in The Fantastic Four. (sighs) Okay, sounds good. I, I don't know if I've ever had an episode title already figured out wow. during the recording of the previous episode. It has to be that one. Yeah. has to be. Yeah. Wow. All right. Where can they find us? They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. Uh, on the site will be, of course, every episode, which you can just play right there if you want, or you can follow the RSS feed or the various popular uh, uh, podcast app links to get to our show or type our show into your favorite app, Make Ours Marvel, and it should show up. There's also a handy contact form you could use to write us a letter with thoughts on what we've said or corrections, hopefully, or additions or subtractions. Or you can just write directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. What if they want to send us square roots? Square roots. Okay. You're kind of pushing my abilities, but that's fine. Just no pie as much as I love pie. Yeah, I, can, if, I mean, when it comes to that, that'd be a pretty irrational thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you can follow me and Mike on the Twitters. We do lots of Twittery things with our twits. Uh, I am at John Reads Comics. Michael is at Kaiser the Great. I have two other podcasts that I do. One is about image comics from the 90s when being an overwrought superhero was the way to be. And that is All the Pouches, an image comics podcast, which has been getting like a whole bunch of likes on Facebook lately. So that's pretty cool. Hopefully other people are listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Then also every Thursday, in fact, there was a new episode just yesterday. Every Thursday um, at TFUK podcast is a new episode of my Transformers show called Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast where I'm going through all of the Marvel comics about the Transformers, including those stories originated in the UK and the cartoons that came out alongside them in the 1980s. So go check that out if 
giant super robot life forms are your bag. And, you know, who doesn't love that? Um, if you don't love that, I don't think I want to know you that well. Just, just, the I, Japanese sure love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has anybody done a study on why they so culturally are into that stuff? Or Probably. I have heard that a lot of it, uh, as far as like some of the mythos, you know, roots, um, a lot of times that's linked to some of the Japanese view of like God. Oh. Like God is not something that's inside you. God is an external force. And having huge robotic life forms is kind of like attached to that idea. Yeah, sure. But if you are familiar with Japanese culture and I'm completely off base, it is not my intention to say falsehoods. It's just what I understand. And please feel free to correct that if I'm misunderstanding. But with those clarifications out of the way, do we have anything else to say? We do not. All right. That's fine. So be here next time. And until then... Or until Tony Stark learns he has a brother who's secretly the real Iron Man. Make ours marvel. marvel.